0: Since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another special edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am talking with the one and only Adrian Solgard, founder and CEO of Solgard. Uh, Adrian is a six time creator on Kickstarter. If you haven't heard from him, you better, you better check yourself because he is very innovative comes up with amazing products, has built an amazing community. His last campaign just finished the home Base solar boombox ecosystem with over 3000 backers, over $600,000 raised on this campaign. He's raised millions of dollars on Kickstarter. Ladies and gentlemen, Adrian Solgard. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Hello. How's it going? It is going, man. It is a pleasure to have you back on the show tons of you know feedback and respect from what you've been doing and the the company you've built with the community that's out there on the kickstarter side so this product is unique you know where the 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 company you've built has kind of been you know built around travel products and obviously with the uh the pandemic that's going on that certainly has had to affect you know overall the uh the industry itself and the ecosystem of people purchasing products like this so I'm really inter- interested to hear what inspired you to come up with Homebase and launch this product, which is kind of, you know, outside of the uh, the normal products that you guys have been launching in the past.
1: Yeah. So uh, being born a kid of two different nationalities and sort of spending most of my life traveling around quite a bit, travel and sort of life on the go has been this quintessential part of my life. So I've, I've kind of those are the problems and the frustrations that I've had. And I've then created solutions to solve those. Then being locked inside of a 425 square foot box with a a human being who I I love very much, but being locked inside of a tiny apartment for a little while during the beginning of lockdown started me thinking about, okay, what are some of the products that we could create that would be able to lend themselves to this and and still being in line with what we're making. And so, you know, the first product we made was a solar powered and anti-theft backpack called Life Pack that was really meant to be the mobile office and uh, this this thought of creating some work life balance and and having like enjoying your life while you travel then i started to sort of use that same line of thinking with this whole living at home working from home not leaving the apartment what is some ways that we could create some separation from work life there And so we made a shelf that mounts to the wall that has built in phone chargers for two phones. So you and your significant other can pop your phones down on this little shelf and both the phones can charge. You get a little bit of screen, you get a little bit of time away from your screen, which is immensely valuable, especially these days when you're pretty much always on. And so I think it kind of just ties in together with this work life balance, working from home, and it's all made from motion plastic as well.
0: Yeah, so Adrian, you really have created a, a full ecosystem around you know eco-friendly products. What, what what brought that on and why did why was it important to integrate that into this new innovation?
1: So uh, I've never wanted to be bound to a single product category. The first product we made was a backpack, then we started making suitcases and we made some watches. And I've kind of wanted to make products that can touch people's lives, who live a life somewhat similar to me and my friends, which is a life that has a lot of travel, uh, and, and I thought it would make sense to have everything be connected. So that first backpack had a solar powered speaker built into it. And so we wanted to make the home base connect to that speaker in a way. So when you put the speaker onto the home base, the speaker charges itself and it also is further amplified by sitting on that shelf. I'm, I think I'm kind of missing the point of your question a little bit here by, by taking the long winded route to it, but I think it makes sense to develop a collection of products that all connect. So if you buy one product from us, it's not as much of a leap to buy the next product because it's uh, it's connected in some way. It's this ecosystem. So having the products connected from a personal use case level is really important, but then making all the products sustainably is, is kind of the, the penultimate or like the ultimate point of the brand is that we're, we're innovating amongst materials. We're using ocean-bound plastic for the fabric in our bags. And then we've also developed a new or discovered a new technology for recycling ocean plastic to make a hard shell plastic, which we're able to use for the casing on this shelf, and the speakers as well. So the the point, the the purpose and the reason and why we're so passionate about doing something good for the planet is we love travel. We love the ocean. And when you go to a beautiful beach and it's polluted and covered in plastic, it's really sad to see that. And that's kind of where the, the passion for environment started. But then as we got a little bit further and deeper into it, I realized that actually hold on, the rainforest provides us with a lot of oxygen, sure, but the ocean actually provides us with 70% of the oxygen that we breathe. And so if we're going to have a chance of keeping this planet livable for humans for the long-term future, we
0: need healthy oceans. Absolutely. So given that this product is a little bit off of the beaten path, if you will, of what you guys have been developing in the past, were there any challenges or what were those challenges when not only designing the product, but doing the engineering behind it?
1: Doing the engineering was tough because we were never we weren't able to be in the same room um, this lockdown in New York started i think may seven March seventeenth is when it was a national emergency. I think we developed the product like we had the idea for the product April first or second or third sort of thing so we were just working over zoom over screen sharing and like trying to to get designs going with a bunch of different people and so i mean that that challenge of remote work is is one of them but Developing the product, what's fortunate for us is we already have factories in our Rolodex that we're working with for these things. So that was pretty easy to, you know, sourcing the factory side. Um, but yeah, not being able to travel to Asia to visit the factory to be like, okay, let's look at the prototype. You no, know, change this, make this change. It's a lot easier to do so much of that stuff in person. So
0: talk about when you, because again, uh, you know, I think it's helpful for the folks that, need that, that kick in the butt to bring their product to market. When you were first doing you know, the first product that you launched out there, how did you go about finding the right factories and beginning those negotiations of getting product samples and those sorts of things to make sure that they were delivering the vision that you had initially?
1: Sure. Uh, the, so the first product that I did was a bike lock, a bicycle lock in 2002. Launched it in January 2013. That one, I, I ended up going to a trade show and I, I met somebody... I I seeked out this guy who was making a special type of bicycle part and I knew that he would know the right factory. So I kind of befriended him and asked him, you know, which some factories were, and he was able to connect me to some factories and good people in Taiwan. I had to restart that process all over again, though, when launching LifePack in 2016. And with that, actually, it was a bit more modern times than 2012 was as far as the internet goes. I went on Alibaba and I searched five or six different factories making backpacks And I just said, Hey, these look cool. Can you send me some samples? I got samples of all of those products, did the same thing for speakers, got three or four different factories to send me samples. Once I kind of had had checked them out, I went over to China and I just visited 10 factories over five or six days and just picked the factory from there. Alibaba is actually a really great source for finding, finding factories.
0: Yeah, no, it certainly is. I mean, it's kind of the the LinkedIn of everything that you could possibly make in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: So in terms of developing this tech product, what tips would you have for someone in terms of that you know, similar flow or process to bring their tech innovation to market?
1: I think for developing a tech product, it's important to look at what other people are doing and use shared technologies wherever you can. I think a lot of early inventors or entrepreneurs make the mistake of reinventing the wheel. And I think that that's that's the kind of thing that can lead to some pretty major challenges when it comes to, especially to technology products, because there are certain things that are already done that will probably be good enough. So I think it's important to, to look at that. So I could give an example that's not this product, but it's a future product that we're working on launching for next year. Do you want me to give that example?
0: Ooh, I think everyone would love to know what's coming next. A little next. tease, a
1: little tease. Okay, so three years ago, I had this idea for a pair of headphones, um, and I can't tell you what the specific idea is, but it's something that I'm very excited about. We developed and designed and visited some different headphone factories and kind of had to put the pro- project on pause, and now we're picking it back up over the last six months, and we're going to be launching these new headphones next year uh, via Kickstarter. So Roy, we've got to chat about that. All right. (laughs) If you're listening, Reed. (laughs) And we initially, we were gonna, we were working with two, we were talking to two different factories and one of them was going to create everything from scratch. The, the speaker drivers, the, the ear cups, the every single component of the headphone band from scratch, and that was going to be, you know, a significant cost in, in tooling, uh, but more so that there was going to be a, a nine or 12 month lag on just making sure everything fits and everything works. Then I kind of, I was talking to a friend who, who lives in Japan, has developed some different uh, tech products and audio products before. And he said, that's the biggest, that's the best way to kill your project is to go brand new for everything. Find somewhere where you can just use an existing ear cup. You're not trying to innovate on the like the squishy part that sits against your ear that's not your innovation part so just use that from somebody else save some cost on tooling there save some co- use existing speakers that you know sound great if that's the you know not your advantage and kind of going from there and he, he told me this like hey there's more there's more headphone startups that have failed in the world than you know and I said really and I, so I looked and there are four or five multi-million dollar Kickstarter campaigns for headphones all of which have not delivered their products. And the ones that have delivered their products are three or four years behind schedule and are you know facing significant challenges and having some pretty upset consumers because they've chosen the overly complicated route. I think that the best hack you can do is, it's the easier way is to use existing technologies where and when you can, and then just focus on what that one piece is that makes your DNA specific or special and go from there.
0: Yeah, no, I think those are really good insights, Adrian. I think, you know, the, the reinventing of the wheel and just the way the world is, I don't think we need more plastics or products out there. If, if yeah. we're, you know, creating the new stuff, we got to get this stuff out of the system, but use use what's already created, you know, and evolve it from there. And then, you know, the beautiful thing about Kickstarter and crowdfunding is then getting advice from the crowd itself in terms of making it better, faster, sleeker better designed or adding additional features after the fact, you know, in terms of V1 when you ship. Yeah. And that and that's what I
1: love about launching a product via Kickstarter is you launch V1 on Kickstarter, you get feedback from thousands of people, and then you come out. The first product that people actually receive in their hands is version 1.5 or version 2 because you, you've you made some of those iterative changes that would have taken a cycle or two to, to, to make. So it's it really is. Kickstarter is amazing for that purpose of Fast forwarding a year of development, both in market, interest, sales, and you get an answer way faster.
0: So let's talk about the Kickstarter campaign itself for Homebase. And since it was a little bit different, did you make any changes in terms of like preparation work in leading up to the campaign before launch?
1: So I am famously running last minute on everything. So that's Some of our campaigns we've done zero pre-launch marketing for, which has been a bit of a mistake. This one we did a little bit of pre-launch for, which was great because we were able to like A-B test some ad sets and see which images people were resonating with. So that would help us, you know, just some basic things like running a $20 A-B test against five different images as an ad to see what has a higher click through rate and using that as our cover image on on Kickstarter, like some stuff like that uh, as far as the pre-launch. Are you talking about the actual like campaign build-out side or are you talking about the product side?
0: Well, first, that was a great nugget that you just dropped for everyone in terms <laughs> of testing, you know, imagery and seeing what actually converts best in terms of, you know, stopping people's thumbs. But no, in terms of the overall marketing side, in terms of the, the technology itself, was there anything different, whether it be pre-campaign lead gen or, you know, image testing and those sorts of things that was different from what you had done before towards more of a traveler, if you will?
1: No, not particularly because we're, we're still, I still assume we, we haven't got total details back yet, but from who our backers are on this, but I still assume we're selling to the same person. They're just, this is for their home rather than for their travel life. Sure. So we're able to, we're still able to to leverage our existing community and our email list and our, you know, Instagram, Facebook people.
0: So in terms of engaging your backers in the community that you've built over the years from the first product to this one, how did you go about managing any of their feedback? You know, while the campaign was active, given that it sounds like the community didn't necessarily create this product for you guys, you know, based out of their feedback initially
1: can you ask that question in a slightly different way? I, I...
0: I can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so since, and again, I'm making an assumption here, the community didn't say, hey, Adrian, we want a home base, right? Oh, so yeah. how did you go about managing the community in different than you would for, you know, creating the backpack and the other travel products that you had done before, that more of that feedback may have come out of the community itself?
1: We haven't yet made a product that was community driven like hey we want this thing it's all been like we've we've heard grumblings from people like oh it'd be nice to have a backpack with this feature or it'd be nice to have a backpack with that feature and we've used those like few bits and pieces to piece together we've never gotten such a clear request as like make make this whatever product so what i what i actually did as we started developing this so so the whole concept for the product we were going to make a new version of our solar powered speaker and we'd found this new technology for using recycled plastic to do so. So we were going to launch that on Kickstarter but realizing that like the speaker sounds really really good. It's a like a really nice sounding speaker, but it's not like mind-blowing in terms of the technology there. It's like it's a convenient speaker because it's got a solar charger on it so it charges it up. It's made from ocean plastic and it sounds really good. That's not that's not a formula for a a Kickstarter slayer of a product. It's like Okay, yeah, that'll be a nice, a nice little campaign. So I was thinking, what can we do to to beef this speaker up and make it something more? So I started thinking about a clip for the wall to make it have better acoustic amplification. And then I realized, like, oh, well, we could actually make it so it charges the device too while amplifying it. Oh, and then we could make it, you know, look really cool. And then it actually fits in your home and it becomes this home decor piece. Oh, and adding wireless charging for your phones. Then it like, it kind of was built in and of itself. And so then we had this like really weird idea for a product that nobody had asked for. So then what I did was I, I ended up actually called this guy, Richie Plunkett. He's a backer of the original bike lock that we launched nice. in 2013 and he's backed several of our projects and we're like, we're friends on Instagram. He's a YouTube reviewer. So I called him up, had a FaceTime chat with him. was like, Hey, so here's this product. It's kind of weird, but like, do you think that the community is going to like this? He's like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. That's not a problem that I've ever thought I had, but I think that's pretty cool. And then I checked it with a few, I did like a gut check with a few other people uh, before we kind of pulled the trigger on like the full prototypes and and all that stuff. And it was, it was very um, gut, a very gut driven decision more than it was a data driven decision of like a thousand people said, yes, do this. It was like, okay, two or three people think it's a good idea and we do. Okay, let's go for it.
0: Now, that's really uh, insightful, Adrian, because, you know, just going back to the Henry Ford quote, you know, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yeah. Right. And in this case, you're, you know, you've got a good feel for overall products and product development and design and creating a product that, you know, potentially, you know, now has thousands of customers on it that hopefully will be a, a continued nice line of business for you guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, and, that, and that's kind of what I hope that we can continue to do is Find products for people's problems they don't know that they have. Exactly. And, and creating, so, creating new things. That's what's exciting, right? This I, I got into a Twitter debate with somebody two days ago and I used that Henry Ford quote actually. And it was it was someone saying, like, the worst thing in business is to solve a problem that people don't know they have. And it's like, well, well, that's <laughs> where all that's where all innovation comes from. And yep. so what I love about Kickstarter and, and other creators on Kickstarter is that we're making new stuff. We're making cool stuff. Whereas like if you look at any random D2C brand, I'll I'll pick on Warby Parker. I'm wearing Warby Parker glasses right now. They're nice glasses, but they're boring. They're just like, okay, these are these are glasses. You can look at the computer with them. Great. Like they're they're nothing exciting. If you want to make a boring direct-to-consumer business that just does the same old thing that everybody else has done, but you have pretty branding and you go from there, cool, sure, you could probably make some money doing that. But that's not, you know, gonna leave a mark on the world. That's what I love about Kickstarter and the creator community. Is it's like we're making stuff that could potentially have a pretty big impact on people's lives.
0: Indeed. Well, I'm wearing my Nectar blue light glasses, uh, (laughs) and you know they they definitely help out, so I can sleep better at night. Nice. (laughs) This show sponsored by Nectar and Warby Parker. Uh, (laughs) No, but I mean, give give some insight here, uh, Adrian, because you've run six crowdfunding campaigns. You've got a ton of insight over the years of what's changed. So. What one or two things in terms of learnings on this campaign has changed, you know, over the years of running multiple campaigns now?
1: So the first in 2013, I don't know if we ran any adverti- like any paid ads. I don't even know what Facebook's paid ads setup was like back then. I think that was pretty much all organic. And it was like posting to forums of like Reddit and like that kind of thing. And then the campaigns now, nowadays are way more advertising driven as the way to reach the community. So you need to have, whether it's deep pockets to, to set it up or a credit card that you're comfortable maxing out in the process, but you need to have some room to, to run some ads if you want to have a six-figure campaign. So I think that's that's been the biggest change that I've seen, the biggest shift that I've seen. Yeah. What about Good. you? What, what changes have you seen over the years? You're, you're even way more in touch with the community than I am.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's been interesting, you know, in terms of one the the innovation side, I think startups, entrepreneurs, companies now are much more polished than they used to be. Oh, yeah. Where they would launch a sloppy prototype up there and people would be like, "Yeah, cool, I get it." But now you've got to have your stuff together and you've got to have this thing working and pretty much done as well as shipping as soon as possible. You know, I don't think you can get away with shipping a product in a year and expecting to have a multi-million-dollar campaign unless your technology is truly groundbreaking.
1: So right, I think right.
0: I'm seeing a lot more companies truly do a lot more homework and pre-campaign prototyping and building than they've ever done before in the past.
1: Yeah, I think that's true, for sure. If I like, I, I have the backpack that I used for the Kickstarter campaign, which that one raised $613,917 from 3,063 backers. It, <laughs> it's funny how you remember these numbers and it was or sorry, three thousand seven hundred and five backers. It looks like a piece of garbage this this prototype it, the three d printed zipper ties and the like the sewing job that was done by a local seamstress in spain like it's it's not a great looking bag, but we were able to you know run a very successful campaign with it. I don't think we could run a campaign with that level of product on Kickstarter anymore and we're and and I think I agree with you on the time scale thing, so like the headphones that we're working on, they've been in development for three years where we've paid deposits to the factory about two months ago. We're probably going to launch it in like March or April of next year, but we'll, we'll be launching when they're two months away from shipping rather than like, rather than launching be, it right now, and one then, or, and or, you and know, buy.
0: three years ago when you had the idea, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And, and I so, think a lot of
0: companies are starting to shift towards that, right? They're putting all the effort and energy in, even though, you know, they do need the cash obviously to write those checks to the factory, but it behooves them to, to wait until that thing is as close to ready as possible and can ship very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here in my office, Adrian, I've got all of your backpacks. I've got my life pack here. I've got my, my hustle bag. I've oh, got my awesome. new, uh, upcycle backpack, the day pack from the ocean plastics. Yes. So I'm looking good over here. I'm ready to go. Awesome. <laughs> so with, um, so, so there with- any surprises on this campaign for you?
1: Uh, well, I think I, I think the one thing that someone who hasn't created a campaign before needs to be aware of is a friend of mine was using the phrase "death by a thousand cuts" that can happen with a Kickstarter campaign. With like, okay, so this campaign just raised six hundred and one thousand dollars. Great, the amount of money that gets that gets bled out in terms of advertising, in terms of the fees to the Kickstarter platform, credit card fees. And then shipping fees are always what tend to bite people, uh, yeah. especially first time creators it's like i'm I'm far less excited about a six hundred thousand dollar campaign now than I was back then because I know that it's like okay we' we're, we're, we're gonna need pretty much every penny of this to manage and handle fulfillment and get like get things out to everybody and so I think that that's yeah that's the one the one piece there, the one word of wisdom that I think you can't say enough. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it definitely comes up with other interviews and talking with founders in terms of that shipping cost, you know, definitely biting you and eating into any and all margins that you have, but also figuring out, you know, where do you really need to ship this thing to, you know, you don't need to send it to every country because likely you may have, you know, if it's a great campaign between 40 to 80 different countries, you know, potentially pre-purchasing the product. Well, any challenges from overfunding the campaign by so much? Was it to your (laughs) expectation in terms of funding goal, or did it supersede what you guys had hoped for? It was. It was in.
1: It was in the realm of what I had hoped for. I kind of thought our our funding goal was twenty thousand dollars, which you know we. It's great to set a funding goal that is achievable. It was kind of like a hundred and fifty or two hundred k is kind of the point that would make. Was is the point where it would make sense where the product would be like okay yeah, this, this works without, you know, killing us kind of thing. And so I think reaching that, that 600 K mark is, is a really nice confidence boost in this product for what it's going to do in the, in the real world, in the mass market. Um, Absolutely. I don't think any, I don't think there's any challenges with that because we're, we're set up for scale. We understand how to make thousands of products and these products are designed to be mass produced in the point that like, with the the tooling and the molds and everything that's opened we're going to have a 5000 unit minimum order quantity anyway so having these numbers just helps use up a lot of that first batch so that's great
0: awesome Well, it's time for my shameless plug of you worked with, you know, my agency Inventus partners. You've been working with us since, since the beginning,
1: seven years, Roy.
0: I know. And you obviously have your choice of working with any and all agencies or marketing help out there, but you obviously chose to come back to us and work with us for this whole campaign. So what, what things and considerations do you now look at when looking to partner with an agency to bring your next innovation to market with?
1: So I think what's, and without, without blowing your ego up too much, with you guys get the full picture of what it means from cross promos to advertising to what's being done on the page, what's being done with the video. what's. And I think that I used to... A, a, a naive creator might think that there's one silver bullet that all you need is the perfect video and then you're set. Or all you need is the perfect campaign rewards, whatever, and then you're set. The The thing is, there's no silver bullet to this. You need expertise across a wide range of things. And I don't think that there's anybody in the business of crowdfunding that knows all those areas as well as you guys do.
0: Well, thank you, sir. It's uh, it's always been a pleasure. Since we've done so many launch rounds before, I won't uh, entertain that. But I, I will ask you to now give me any deeper insight that you have in terms of what the future of crowdfunding looks like.
1: I think crowdfunding for the future is definitely here to stay. And I think that there's So many interesting avenues of what you can look at. So, like product crowdfunding via Kickstarter is awesome. Uh, I think it's such a great way for people to bring out a product to market. But, like we talked about, with you know, by the time you've done shipping and fulfillment and everything, your your Kickstarter campaign is basically pre marketing and it's market validation. Or sorry, it's it's assessing product market fit. You're not you're unlikely to have a lot a meaningful amount of revenue left over to work with to continue running the company onwards after that. So I think like we're we're currently looking into the idea of equity crowdfunding because we have, you know, 13 or 14 or 15,000 backers across all these different campaigns that we've done and we we backers are not customers. They're people putting their hard-earned money into your idea and they're willing to wait for it very patiently for, you know, 6-9 months whatever it might be it's It's very different from a just a typical consumer purchase habit, and so because we have this community of backers, we're considering doing equity crowdfunding where it's like okay, they'll put in money that stays in the company for two or three years and then they'll you know earn a dividend off of that, and then there's you know options on the line we're We're looking at that because I think that harnessing the power of the crowd is is super interesting because I think if you if you have the ability to communicate what your goals are, I think that Yeah. I I think the future of crowdfunding is just going to be more and more matured from where it is now. And I think it's going to become more and more normalized slowly because there's not a lot of people that are willing to put money into a product and wait six months for it. Most people want everything right now. (laughs) But I think that for a a select group of people, it's definitely here to stay. And I think it's only going to get stronger.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think uh, going down the route of equity crowdfunding for you, given your consumer base and community that you've built is a perfect match because what better thing to deliver amazing products to them and also have them have an opportunity to be an owner, you know, in a very cool startup that they own the product on. Uh, yeah. Not many opportunities are out there for especially for, you know, a, a well-built company like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Adrian, this is always amazing to have you on the show. Uh, This is, again, your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go, and why they should check you out.
1: Sure, yeah. So SoulGuard, we make gear for global citizens. We see a global citizen as someone who loves to experience the world and all that it has to offer, but also cares for it and wants to take care of it. So we make suitcases, backpacks, and now home goods and products for you enhancing and enjoying your life on the go or on the stay. Everything we do, we make sustainably. So we use ocean plastic to make the fabrics for all of our products. We use as much recycled content in the polycarbonate suitcases that we make, which are lightweight and have a built-in shelving system that helps you stay organized on the go, which was recognized by Time Magazine as 2018 World Best Inventions. You can check us out at solgard.co, or you can find us on Instagram at solgard, S-O-L-G-A-R-D. Solgard means sun farm in Norwegian, and it's actually the name of where my grandfather was born on a little farm in the
0: south of Norway. Killer. Adrian, this has been amazing. Audience, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to all of Adrian's amazing products. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Type. Adrian, thank you so much for coming back on the show and congrats on all of your success, sir.
1: Thanks so much, Roy. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show